Question to Prime Minister. Anthony Brown. Question number one, please. Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I want to begin by echoing what you've just said about the reports of the fatal shooting in a Texan primary school. Our thoughts are with all those affected by this horrific attack. Mr Speaker, yesterday I welcomed the Amir of Qatar to Downing Street. It's excellent news that Qatar announced it will invest up to £10 billion into the UK through our new strategic investment partnership. And not only will it boost local economies and support jobs, it will support our green economy and decarbonisation. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Anthony Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Cambridge is one of the most expensive places to live in the country, but unlike many cheaper places, NHS workers in the city get no high cost of living supplement. So NHS workers in Cambridge pay higher rents than NHS workers in outer London boroughs like Redbridge and Croydon and Bexley and Barking, and yet they get paid 15% less. This makes it very difficult for the NHS in Cambridge, including Addenbrooke's Hospital, to retain and recruit staff. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, work with me to make sure that NHS workers in South Cambridgeshire and Cambridge get paid fairly? Prime Minister. My honourable friend is a a fantastic champion for his constituents and for uh, Addenbrooke's, and we're very proud of uh, our NHS, and that's why we're putting record investment in, uh, Mr Speaker, and I uh, uh, hope that the independent NHS pay review body uh, will listen carefully uh, to what my honourable friend has just said. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And uh, My thoughts also, and I know the thoughts of the whole House, are with the families of the victims of yesterday's school shooting in Texas. Nineteen children have died, some as young as seven, and two adults believed to be teachers. It is an unspeakable tragedy, and our hearts are with the American people. Last weekend marked the anniversary of both the Manchester bombing and the murder of Lee Rigby, and we remember them this year as we do every year. And today is also the anniversary of the killing of George Floyd, a reminder that we must all tackle the racism that is still experienced by so many in our country and beyond. Mr Speaker, the Sue Gray report was published this morning, and I look forward to discussing that during this afternoon's statement with the Prime Minister. For now, I want to focus on the cost of living affecting the whole country. Mr Speaker, since we stood here last week and I asked the Prime Minister yet again to back Labour's plans for a windfall tax to reduce energy bills, hundreds of millions of pounds have been added to bills of families across the country and hundreds of millions of pounds have landed in the bank accounts of energy companies. It sounds like... He's finally seen sense, and the inevitable U-turn may finally have arrived. So when can people across the country expect him to use those oil and gas profits to bring down their bills? Well, Mr Speaker, there's nothing original about a Labour plan to tax uh, business. There's nothing remarkable. They want to tax business uh, the whole time, every day. Uh, Labour wants to put up taxes on business. And what we're doing is we're helping people. He asks when we're going to help people. We're helping people now, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, 
we're, we're putting £22 billion into uh, people's pockets already, cutting uh, council tax by £150, cutting uh, fuel duty, cutting national insurance contributions by an average of £330 for people who pay for people who pay next. And, Mr Speaker, how can we afford that? Because we have a strong economy, because we came out of Covid fast, Mr Speaker, which would not have been possible if we'd listened to the party opposite. Fifteen tax rises, and he pretends they're a low-tax government. (laughs) It's been... It's been... Mr Speaker, it's been four and a half months since Labour first called for a windfall tax on oil and gas profits. I've raised it week in, week out, and every week he has a new reason for not doing it. The Business Secretary said it's bad. The Justice Secretary called it disastrous. Even this weekend, the Health Secretary and the Northern Ireland Secretary opposed it. He ordered all of his MPs to vote against it last week. And now... Surprise, surprise, he's backing it. Prime Minister, I'm told that hindsight is a wonderful thing. (laughs) But, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, whilst he's dithered and delayed, households across the country suffered when they didn't need to. What... Mr Bone, a man who always wants this to catch my eye is not going the best way to do so. Here's that. Mr Speaker, whilst he dithered and delayed, households across the country suffered when they didn't need to. What is it about the Sue Gray report that first attracted him to a U-turn this week? Mr Speaker, there is is no surprise about Labour's lust. There's no surprise about Labour's lust to put up taxes. Uh, There's nothing original about his thought. They they get off on it. They they absolutely love to confiscate uh, other people's assets. What we prefer to do, Mr Speaker, is make sure make sure that we have the measures that are in place to drive investment in our country and drive jobs. And it's thanks to the steps that we took, uh, thanks to the fact that we came out of Covid faster than any other European country, which would not have been possible if we'd listened uh, to him, uh, that, we, uh, that we now have unemployment at the... Lo- listen to this. Une- they used to care about this, Mr Speaker. Unemployment at the lowest level since 1974. And, uh, put that in your pipe. Uh, Mr Speaker, I actually thought with this U-turn he might actually get his his head out of the sand, but uh, obviously not. The reality is that every day of his dithering and his delay, £53 million has been added to Britain's household bills. Whilst he's distracted trying to save his own job, the country has been counting the cost. But complacency is nothing new for this government. Back in October, the Chancellor delivered a mini-budget that has to be re-read to be believed. With inflation already climbing, he said that he understood people were concerned about it and the government was ready to act. Since then, inflation has risen to a 40-year high, the highest rate of any G7 country. 
If the government was so ready to act six months ago, why hasn't it? Mr Speaker, the government has acted, and my rival friend, the Chancellor, continues to act. This is the government that not only... We not only put in the living wage, Mr Speaker, it was a Conservative institution, uh, but we've now raised it, by, raised it by a record amount. We've raised it by £1,000, uh, Mr Speaker, a record amount. Uh, we've helped people, families on universal credit have another £1,000, Mr Speaker. Thanks to the measures, the £9.1 billion we've already put in uh, to support people's uh, costs of heating, uh, we're abating the costs of fuel uh, for people up and down the country, and of course uh, we're going to do more, Mr Speaker. Speaker. We're going to put our arms around the people of this country, just as we did throughout the COVID pandemic. The reason we can do that is because we took the tough decisions to drive the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe, which wouldn't have been possible if you listened to him, Mr Speaker, and that's why we have, and let me take another statistic, youth unemployment, they used to care about it, youth unemployment at or near a record low. Mr Speaker, it wasn't just the Chancellor back in September. The Prime Minister called fears about inflation unfounded. He was the last person to spot the cost of living crisis, just as he's the last person to back Labour's plan to help people through it. And, Mr Speaker, it wasn't just on inflation that they got it badly wrong. In the same speech, the Chancellor boasted about growth. The Prime Minister does today. Can we were going to do better than all our major competitors? It was obvious that he was being complacent. And lo and behold, Britain is set to have the lowest growth of any major country except Russia. Despite our brilliant businesses and all we have to offer, why has his government inflicted on Britain the twin-headed hydra of the highest inflation and the lowest growth? He loves running this country down. times did he come to this place how many times did he come to this place and say that the united kingdom had the highest covid death rate in europe how many times he was proved completely wrong did he ever apologize mr speaker absolutely not did he ever take it back absolutely not mr speaker actually because of the steps we took last year we had the fastest growth in the g7 and we will return and we will return to the fastest growth by 2024-2025 thanks to the decisions that this government took, Mr Speaker, and, and Ms. They, they don't care about getting people into jobs. They don't care. Uh, we care about the working people of this country making sure we have a high-wage, high-skill, high-employment economy, and that's what we're delivering. He talks about running this country down. He is running this country down. And it wasn't just complacency on Labour's windfall tax, which he's now backing. It wasn't just complacency on inflation, which is now through the roof. And it wasn't just complacency on growth, which is now spluttering along at the back of the pack. Because his Chancellor also claimed that people should keep more of the rewards of their efforts. And then he put their taxes up. So does the Prime Minister want to explain to hard-working people whose wages are running out sooner and sooner each month and who are facing astronomical bills and prices just how his 15 tax rises since taking office have helped them to keep more of their rewards in their pocket? 
Mr Speaker, first of all, what we're doing is making sure after a huge pandemic uh, that we are funding our vital public services, uh, which we can, uh, because of the steps that we take. What we're also doing is making sure that we put more money back into people's pockets by the, the measures that I've outlined today, uh, whether, through, whether through cutting national insurance contributions or lifting, or lifting the living wage or lifting universal credit, Mr Speaker. But all this is made possible... All this is made possible because we took the, the responsible and sensible steps to protect our economy throughout COVID and then to come out strongly. And he's completely wrong about this country's growth performance, Mr Speaker. He runs it down. He runs it down. He was proved wrong about COVID. He's going to be proved wrong again. Just delusional. Um, uh, Mr Speaker... Uh, last week I raised the case of Phoenix Halliwell, whose kidney condition means he needs daily dialysis and whose energy bill has gone through the roof as a result. I'm glad that, as a result, government officials got in touch with Phoenix yesterday and I hope that will result in more support for people who are vulnerable. But it shouldn't be left to Labour to turn up week after week to make him aware of the consequences of his dither and delay. So I want to raise another issue where the government is sleepwalking into disaster. With the summer holidays looming, there are reports that the Home Office already has a backlog of 500,000 passports to issue. That's potentially more than half a million people worrying whether they will get away this summer. So can the Prime Minister reassure people that they won't miss out on their holidays due to the failures of his Home Office? Well, I, I, I thank you very much, but I can tell him, actually, uh, that what we're doing is massively uh, increasing the speed with which the passport office uh, deliver. And uh, to, the, to, to, the best of, to the best of my knowledge, everybody is getting their passport within four uh, to six weeks, Mr Speaker. Uh, but, that's, but, but that is because, that is because we, we, are, we are driving the leadership of this country. And... Uh, we are getting things done that would never have been possible if we listened to them. We got Brexit done, Mr Speaker, when he voted... He voted 48 times. 48 times he voted to undo the will of the people. We got the vaccine rollout done when he would have kept in the, that's in the European Medicines Agency, Mr Speaker. We were the first European country, the first European country to help the Ukrainians... Anybody seriously believe for a second that they would have done it? Some are trying to boo, some are trying to cheer. The worst of it is, I can't hear the Prime Minister. Come on, Prime Minister. Let me, let me say very plainly does anybody seriously think for a second that the Labour Party would have done that, Mr. Speaker? When eight, when eight, eight of the shadow front bench, including the shadow foreign secretary who is mysteriously not in his place, uh, voted recently to get rid of this country's independent nuclear deterrent. And, and he campaigned, he campaigned to put Vladimir Corbyn, I mean, sorry, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street, Mr Speaker. Uh, we get on, we do the difficult things. We do the difficult things. We take the tough decisions, Mr Speaker. Social care, social care, we're fixing it.
Prime Minister, we both can be on our feet. I'm trying to help you. You've got to help me as well. And I'm sure you've got to the end because Mr Stewart's itching to get his question. Graham Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When the Prime Minister gets passionate, things get done. Brexit. Brexit is done. The vaccine... The vaccine... If they could contain themselves... The the vaccine rollout, done. So So will my right honourable friend personally intervene so that the immunocompromised, like my constituent Scott, can get access to British wonder drug Evershield, and then they, not, not uh, next winter, not next year, but now, so that they can enjoy this summer and enjoy their freedom, just like the rest of us. Yeah. Minister. Uh, yes, Mr. Speaker. I know that the, uh, my, my, my honourable friend and has taken a keen interest for, for, in this for a while. Uh, Evershield could potentially reduce the risk of infection, as he, as he says. Uh, we've got to look at the uh, available evidence before we can make a decision about whether it should be available. But I will make sure that the uh, Department for Health and, and Social Care keep him updated on the progress we're making. We now come to leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Aye, aye. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I want to join others today to express my deepest sorrow at the horrific events in Texas yesterday. Nineteen children and two teachers have needlessly lost their lives. Many of us in Scotland will be remembering the tragic events that took place in Dunblane 26 years ago. The thoughts and prayers of the SNP are with the families suffering today, but also our hope that lawmakers will finally act to bring the scourge of gun violence that plagues the United States to an end. Mr Speaker, the reports that the Prime Minister and Downing Street's lawbreaking have been damning. Empty bottles littering offices. Rooms so crowded people were sitting on each other's laps and security forced to intervene because the parties were so outrageous. At the centre was the Prime Minister orchestrating it, grabbing a glass for himself in order to toast the party-goers. For eight months, we have heard every excuse under the sun, but now we have all seen the damning photo evidence. While people stayed at home to protect the NHS, the Prime Minister was engaging in drinking and debauchery that makes a mockery of the gut-wrenching sacrifices that each and every person made. Will the Prime Minister Minister now take the opportunity and resign? Uh, Mr Speaker, I can can tell the the right honourable gentleman that uh, much as I appreciate his advice, he'll have a further opportunity, which I'm, uh, I'm sure he will take, take his uh, customary length uh, to, to, to debate that matter uh, in the course of the, of the statement which will follow directly after PMQs. I'm not happy. Mr Speaker, but it's all a joke to the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister has lost the trust of the public. He has lost what little moral authority he had left. The Prime Minister has apologised many times, not because he feels any genuine remorse. He still refuses to even admit that there were parties and that he presided over them. He apologised for one simple reason. He got caught. The reality is 
No apology will ever be enough for the families of people who lost loved ones, for the families who followed the rules, who stayed at home whilst their nearest and dearest to them were dying, and are now forced to look at photographs of the Prime Minister surrounded by drink, toasting to a party in the middle of a lockdown. If the Prime Minister will not accept that he must resign, then the Tory benches must act. This Prime Minister, who has broken the law and shown a cavalier attitude to the truth, cannot be allowed to remain in office. Prime Minister, time is up. Resign. Resign. Resign before this House is forced to remove him. Prime Minister. I, I, I thank him very much, and I would uh, just uh, uh, direct him again. I think it would be uh, uh, to his advantage to uh, look through the report, and, uh, and then uh, I think we should return to it after PMQs. We now come to Jonathan Gillis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. High streets and heritage means a lot to the people of Stoke-on-Trent, North Kidsgrove, and Talk. Burton and Tunstall, two of the great six towns of Stoke-on-Trent, are plagued with rogue and absent landlords who are too happy to let shops sit empty and historically important buildings such as Price and Kensington Teapot Works fall into ruin. Which is why I introduced my proper maintenance of land bill to increase fines on these ruinous owners. Can my right honourable friend confirm that as part of the government's planning reform, he will adopt my bill which imposes a new unlimited fine so these reckless reprobates can be held accountable up the veil for Saturday, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Here, here, Mr Speaker. Uh, up the veil. But uh, on the, on the, on his, I want to thank him, by the way, for his campaign. Uh, he, I think he's entirely right. Uh, and that's why we've adopted the measures that he proposes uh, in the bill. Uh, those who leave properties derelict unreasonably uh, could face an unlimited fine, Mr Speaker. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I was pleased to uh, meet the Prime Minister last week in Royal Hillsborough in my constituency. Uh, We welcome his commitment to introduce legislation to deal with the protocol on the Irish Sea border uh, and to protect the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. That will take some time. In the meantime, as in the rest of the United Kingdom, hard-pressed households in Northern Ireland are suffering from the cost-of-living crisis. Will the Prime Minister give me an assurance that any measures that are brought forward by the Chancellor uh, in the near future to help hard-pressed households will apply to Northern Ireland and that the protocol will not be allowed to prevent Northern Ireland citizens receiving the support they need from the Government at this time? I, I thank the right hon. Gentleman very much. Uh, as, as he knows, uh, we have a package of measures uh, for, to support families across the whole of the, the UK that I've uh, detailed already to the House. Uh, I may say that I also think it would be uh, an advantage to the people of Northern Ireland in tackling uh, the issues that uh, we all face across the UK uh, if, if, if Stormont uh, were to be uh, restored, uh, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The recent report on levelling up the rural economy highlighted many areas where more work is needed in small rural and coastal communities to ensure they also benefit from our levelling up agenda. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we need to ensure levelling up reaches into rural and coastal Devon? And will my right honourable friend meet with me and Helen Herford, our excellent candidate in Tiverton and Honiton? 
progress our plans for Devon. Prime Minister. Yes, of course, Mr Speaker, because my honourable friend is a fantastic advocate uh, for Devon, for rural uh, communities, and I will make sure that both she and Helen Herford uh, get a meeting with the relevant uh, minister to discuss her ideas further. Ben Lake. Mr Speaker, rising fuel costs are causing serious problems for workers in car-dependent rural areas like Ceredigion, and for carers and district nurses, the situation has reached a crisis point. One carer from Ceredigion often has to travel 29 miles just to reach the first service user of the day, and travels around 1,700 miles each month. Would the Prime Minister therefore consider extending the Rural Fuel Duty Relief Scheme to areas like Ceredigion to help my constituent and many like her to continue their invaluable work. Yeah. Well, I, I thank him for his excellent question. And I can tell him that uh, a rural, uh, a fuel, duty, fuel duty relief uh, is there to compensate uh, motorists uh, uh, by helping re- retailers in some uh, more remote r- rural areas where pump prices uh, can be significantly uh, higher. It, it currently operates on a geographical basis, but Mr. Speaker, I'm very happy uh, to ensure that uh, the Honourable Gentleman gets a, a meeting with the, uh, the relevant Minister as fast as possible. Labour and socialism has failed this country because they have followed policies which interfere too much in people's lives, over-regulate, spend too much taxpayers' money, borrow too much and raise taxes. Could the Prime Minister tell the House what policies his government are going to follow to ensure we don't have a similar fate? Yes, Mr Speaker, I I can. And I'm I'm grateful to, to... uh, to my honourable friend, and he's absolutely right. Uh, that Labour's instinct everywhere and always is to put up tax uh, with all its uh, absolute. Uh, that's what they did. Well, they're, 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 they're bragging about it today, Mr. Speaker. It's ludicrous. Uh, and uh, what we are doing is not only cutting uh, people's contributions under national insurance, uh, but also cutting uh, the uh, cutting the uh, helping people helping businesses to invest with the 130% super deduction uh, that my honourable friend uh, put in, and what that is doing is helping us to have a high-wage, high-skill economy with unemployment. And that's why I said this before, Mr. Speaker, at the lowest since 1974. Jill Furness. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Days before the election of disgraced former Conservative MP Imran Ahmad Khan, his victim warned the Conservative Party of the abuse he had suffered. There's still, I think, an appeal in subjudice, so if you can be careful, I'll just word the question. Shockingly, they failed to act on this report and still won't explain why. That's why Rotherham child sexual exploitation survivor Sammy Woodhouse has called for an independent investigation into the failure, warning that the Conservative Party have broken the trust of victims. So, will the Prime Minister personally back those calls and launch an independent investigation until the failure to act so that victims can have confidence that his party will never again turn a blind eye to it? Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, I, I hear what she says and, uh, and the sensitivity of the issues that she, uh, that she raises. I think, that though, uh, given the legal proceedings that are currently uh, are going on, I, I, don't, I, don't think it would be, I don't think it would be right to comment any further. While the politics of politics often gets all the attention, back in the real world, yeah. millions of parents are being held back by issues with childcare schemes that have been a muddle over governments of all political colours, and I declare a quite obvious interest. <laughs> the taxpayer is 
spending five to six billion quid a year, but we have some of the highest costs in the world during a cost of living squeeze, and Stroud parents and early years educators are really stuck with the bureaucracy. I know my right honourable friend has personally asked ministers to investigate options to reduce the cost of childcare. Will he tell us a little bit more about what we can do urgently and work with me with the think tank onward when we do our reforms? Well, yes, Mr. Speaker, I thank her very much, and she and I have talked about this. This is a, a subject in which I take a direct personal interest, and I think, Mr. Speaker, that the, uh, there are things that we can do uh, to make childcare more affordable. One of, the, one of the issues is that not enough people take up uh, tax-free childcare. We need, we need to have more take-up uh, of what is, what is on offer. Uh, but what we can also uh, look at, Mr. Speaker, is, is ways in which we can reform and improve the system. Or obsession learning. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Next month marks five years since the horrific Grenfell Fire Tower, which killed 72 people. My constituency, Vauxhall, has many tall buildings similar to Grenfell. In 2019, the Prime Minister rightly told this House, where the inquiry recommends government responsibility for fire safety, we will legislate accordingly. But, Mr. Speaker, last week the government dropped the inquiry's recommendation that personal evacuation plans should be in place for disabled residents, claiming basic safety would be too expensive. Grenfell United said that this showed that cutting costs is more important than the value of human life. So will the Prime Minister urgently reverse this deeply inhumane decision and not break another promise to this House? Mr Speaker, let's be clear, if there is an issue with fire safety in, this, uh, in a building, uh, then extra steps uh, should be taken and, uh, and remediation uh, sh- should be made. Uh, and when it comes to self-evacuation, Mr Speaker, the Home Office has launched uh, a new uh, consultation to support the fire safety of residents who are unable uh, to, self- to self-evacuate. But if she has further representations to make on that point, uh, I'll be very happy to ensure she gets a meeting uh, with the Minister in Duluth. Mr Speaker, I am not a cynical sort, but I was was slightly perplexed this week uh, when the Cabinet Secretary and the Director of Government Propriety and Ethics, no less, were banned from attending my committee to give evidence which had been scheduled for two months. I, I cannot possibly think why, Mr Speaker. But I wonder which particular subjects my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, was most concerned being raised by my committee. Was it the case of undeclared loans and donations in kind, security insights into appointments to the House of Lords, or indeed the consultation of the Propriety and Ethics Units in ministerial appointments? Mr Speaker, I, I, I can assure him, I know he's not a cynic, he's, an, he's one of nature's idealists, uh, Mr Speaker, and uh, I, I will make sure that uh, all relevant ministers and civil servants uh, appear before his committee. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is leading a long queue of Conservatives MPs riling up to show how out of touch they are. Bills are rising, people are struggling. A quarter of people in work in Putney earn less than the London living wage. They don't need to be told how to budget better, to learn how to cook, to buy value food. They already are. 
When will the Prime Minister get a grip on this crisis and when will he bring in the windfall tax? Mr Speaker, what we're doing for the people of Putney and the people throughout this country uh, is making sure that we invest now in protecting them, uh, as I've said to the House and I've said uh, repeatedly, uh, not just with the increases in in universal credit or in the the living wage, uh, in the the warm homes discount, in uh, in cutting fuel bills, but also, of course, uh, with a £330 cut in in NICs, Mr Speaker. Uh, But the reason we can do this is because we have a robust uh, economic position in which we have strong employment. That is giving us the revenue to pay and to cushion people in this difficult time. It would not have been possible if we'd listened to the Labour Party during Covid. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This weekend, tens of thousands of Huddersfield sporting fans are coming down to London. On Saturday, Huddersfield Giants are in their first Rugby League Challenge Cup final for over a decade. And on Sunday... It's Huddersfield Town in the Championship playoff final for a place in the Premier League. Will the Prime Minister, as well as wishing the best of luck to both (laughs) Huddersfield teams, agree with me that the best way that Labour-run Kirklees Council can honour the sporting tradition of Huddersfield is following through with their pledge to house the new National Rugby League Museum in Huddersfield, in the birthplace, the George Hotel, and not pull out of that deal as they've indicated they want to do so. Prime Minister. Is that that the Labour Council are pulling out of their deal? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm not not surprised. Uh, All I can say is I I I congratulate him on his his campaign for a (laughs) National Rugby League uh, museum, and I urge him uh, to take it up with the Arts Council or, uh, or, or other relevant bodies. Andy MacDonald. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, under the cover of the pandemic, we've seen a massive shift in wealth from the poorest to the richest. A partying PM and a law breaking rich list chancellor have lined the pockets of their wealthy pals, whilst upwards of 175,000 of our fellow citizens have died from COVID. And they're now sitting on their hands and laughing in our faces as the cost of living crisis and fuel poverty could well leave thousands more to die of cold in their own homes. So, Mr Speaker, when we saw pictures of the PM partying in the middle of the pandemic, was he toasting his assault on the working class? And I ask him, how on earth does he sleep at night with so much blood on his filthy, privileged hands? Mr Speaker, uh, from from furlough onwards, everything we have done since the pandemic began has been to get uh, money into the pockets of the working people of this country. Uh, And those are the people, those are the people time and again uh, that we have prioritised. And I do not for a moment, I I do not for a moment doubt, Mr Speaker, that that things are tough. I do not doubt it for a moment. But it is our intention to get this country through it, and we will get through it very well by putting our arms around people as we can and as we will because of the fiscal firepower that we have, Mr Speaker, but also by making sure that we continue with the high-wage, high-skill, high-employment economy that we have. And the best thing for, to get money to people's pockets, Mr Speaker, is to have a job. Jill Mortimer. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that when the right honourable member opposite spins his myth of a low-tax Labour Party, he clearly needs a memory job? Because can I just remind you all that in 2019, 
you all stood on a manifesto that would have inflicted the highest tax burden on the people of this country in peacetime. That's probably why there's so few of you over there. Yes, Mr Speaker, they, they campaigned to put up taxes on business to the highest level this country has ever seen. That was his ambition, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, and that's what the, that, that is what they would do again, be in no doubt. That's what they love to do. You can feel the lust for tax uh, rising off, that, off those benches opposite, Mr Speaker, and that is why there's never been a Labour government that left office with unemployment lower than when they came in. Mr Wakeford. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, the head of Ofgem advised MPs that the energy cap is due to increase to £2,800 in the autumn, more than double from last year. And I know the Prime Minister has been bu busy drafting and redrafting his half-assed half apologies rather than helping the people of Berry South. But at which work event? Event, did he realise Labour's call was the right thing to do? Considering he and his party voted against it last week, is it just to save his own neck? I, can't, I couldn't either hear the question or the advice I was being given. It might be helpful, I could hear both. Prime Minister, did you manage to hear it? Very much. Well, I heard enough, Mr Speaker, to have a, a rough idea of the nonsense that he was talking. And, uh, what, we're, what, we're, what we're doing... Uh, Mr Speaker, is not only supporting people now, uh, but we will continue to put our arms around the, the people of this country as we did, as we did uh, during the pandemic and beyond. Can I just say, moderate language is what we normally use. I don't find it. It doesn't suit the chair, and I don't think it suits the country, so please. John Barron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will recall I've previously um, raised with him the plight of 170 British Council contractors who remain in Afghanistan in fear of their lives, 85 of whom are deemed to be at very high risk. I met the Refugee Minister last week. It was a positive meeting, but we face bureaucracy which is preventing the FCDO from cutting through that um, um, bureaucracy and helping these people now, courtesy of the ACRS scheme. Will he help us cut through that red tape and help these people? We owe them a debt of obligation and time is running out. Uh, well, I, I thank him very, very much. I'll, I'll see what we can do to help those particular people. But I just remind the House uh, that we've not only evacuated 15,000 people under rock pitting, which I think was a great uh, credit to this country, uh, we've supported since then, since then 4,600 more uh, have come uh, to this country, and uh, we'll do what we can to help the people that he mentions. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Jubilee Lead Academy in my constituency, working with Nottingham citizens, recently asked me to visit the school to hear about their low pay campaign. They're tired of seeing people in our community working hard but living in poverty. Yeah. And now bills are rising, inflation's at 9%, <coughs> and yet the government seems incapable and frankly a little disinterested in doing anything to help out. Yeah. Mr Speaker, our children can see the need for emergency action. Why can't our government? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, everybody, everybody in work, uh, 30 million workers will get a tax cut in July uh, on top of everything that we're already doing. But that is not the, uh, the end of what this government is going to do to look after people. And I've told the House uh, before this morning, uh, this afternoon, uh, that we will continue to use our fiscal firepower to look after the British people through the Covid aftershocks and beyond.
Greg Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Monday at 3.25, a school bus crashed into a group of school children in Clamvacaronian. Three children were airlifted to hospital, with another child and the bus driver taken by ambulance, and a fifth child was discharged at the scene. Everyone is in a stable condition. Clearly, this is a tragic accident that will stay with the community for some time. Will the Prime Minister join me, and I'm sure the whole House, in sending our love and prayers to those in hospital? And will he also praise the teaching staff of both the primary and high school, the Welsh Air Ambulance, David Powers Police, for their heroic response and their continuing response to the community? I thank my honourable friend for raising this, this very, very sad incident, and I'm sure the, the whole House. Uh, his thoughts, Mr Speaker, will be with those who have been affected, and I want to join him in particular in uh, paying tribute uh, to the emergency services, uh, but also, of course, uh, the teachers and the staff of the school uh, who did so much to help. Tony Antoniazzi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, my constituent Robert Walker sadly died last year. He worked for MI6 and as such disclosed in confidence that he was a gay man. This confidence was breached by the HR department at the Foreign Commonwealth Office. Recently unearthed paperwork showed that this breach largely accounted for his well-being and enforced early retirement. Would the Prime Minister offer Bob's partner, Stephen Honeyman, a posthumous apology and commit to ask the Foreign and Commonwealth Office for a formal response to his treatment while he worked at MI6. Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, I want to begin by by saying how grateful I am to the uh, Honourable Member for uh, for raising this case, but I I have to tell her I'm afraid I uh, don't know directly about uh, the the events that uh, she describes. Uh, What she says is very uh, concerning. I'll make sure that she gets uh, a meeting with the relevant Minister uh, as soon as possible. That ends Prime Minister's questions.